Anderson County, Knox County, Gordon County, Gordon County, at line 45 p.m. At 9 p.m., National Weather Service Doppler radar indicated a severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado five miles northwest of Kingston. The early 2000s were an exciting time to be online. It was when the shift began and internet access started to become a necessity. The dot-com bubble may have burst, but it seemed to have little impact on the overall growth of the internet, particularly when it came to means of communication. The internet allowed us to not only connect with our existing contacts, but meet people online we would not have met otherwise. Back then, different chat applications, email lists or message boards could help us meet new people who shared a common interest, allowing us to invite complete strangers into our homes, into our lives, and ultimately, into our psyches. Having a way to meaningfully share information with thousands of strangers opened doors of opportunity, not only to help educate one another, but to make new friends. However, even in the early days of social media, it should go without saying that not everyone we encountered online had our best interests at heart. Catfishing is a relatively new term used to describe a person who takes on a fake identity online and is in reference to a documentary titled Catfish. The filmmakers focus on a New York man who finds himself in an online relationship with who he believes is a 19-year-old woman from the Midwest. The man agrees to meet with the woman in real life for the first time, and learns that his girlfriend is not the woman she portrayed herself as. The term would officially enter into the public lexicon with rise of the MTV series Catfished and would become a widespread phenomenon on dating sites. Over time, the practice would be adopted by those looking to gain financially, baiting an unsuspecting victim into a romantic relationship without ever having met and then convincing their target through an elaborate string of lies to send money and gifts. In the case of William Melchert Dinkle, he wasn't a member of the Lonely Hearts Club, desperately hoping he could find the right partner if only he could convince someone that he would be worth loving. Nor was William Melchert Dinkle a career criminal hoping to get something for nothing. William Melchert Dinkle set out in hopes of finding someone in pain, someone looking for a friend, and someone he could exploit for his own sadistic pleasure. Now, let's get on with it. Does anyone have details of hanging methods where there isn't access to anything high up to tie the rope to? I've read that people have taken their own lives in jail. Anybody know of inventive methods? The ones you don't get to read in the paper? A user going by the name Spooky posted to the message forum alt.suicide.methods in July of 2005. Minutes later, another user under the name Lee Dow responded, Check your email. Spooky checked his email and sure enough there was a message waiting from Lee Dow containing a detailed answer to his question. Depending on how tall you are, preferable under six feet, you can easily from a door using the knob on the other side to tie the rope to, sling it over the top of the door, attach the noose or loop to yourself, then step off and hang successfully. Weeks later, it was learned that Spooky had taken Lee Dow's advice. 
32-year-old Mark Drybro of Coventry, England, was found dead in his home. The night before, Mark and his sister had made plans to meet at a local park. It would be Mark's sister who would find her brother's body. It was no secret that Mark Drybro had been struggling with depression for years. A decade prior, Mark had his entire life ahead of him. He had been studying computer engineering and began dating a girl, however, a viral infection would send Mark's life into a tailspin. Though it isn't clear if he had ever been formally diagnosed, Mark believed he had developed chronic fatigue syndrome as a result of his infection. Suddenly, the once carefree and vivacious student found getting out of bed to be a struggle. Mark began failing his classes, his relationship fell apart, and it wouldn't be long until he had given up altogether. Mark lived alone in a house he had inherited from a relative. He didn't work, he wasn't attending classes, and online chat groups were the only place he felt comfortable talking about his troubles. When Mark failed to meet his sister as planned, she knew something was wrong. Driving to his home, Mark's sister was greeted by a note on the door that read, Please call the police. Do not go upstairs. Go home. Hand this note to the police. Ignoring the note, Mark's sister raced up the stairs to Mark's bedroom door. She twisted the handle, but the door had been jammed shut. On the other side was Mark, suspended from a rope attached to a ladder. Forcing her way into the room, Mark's sister tried desperately to prop him up and support his weight until paramedics arrived on the scene, but it was already too late. In a final note intended for his friends and family, Mark wrote, Dear family and everyone, I have decided to take my own life. My mental suffering is too much, and combined with fatigue syndrome, which gets no better, I can see I have no future. Mark was dead, but there was more to his story than what meets the eye. Logging into Mark's computer... His sister found evidence that Mark had been spending a lot of time on various suicide chat rooms and researching different methods to die in the weeks leading up to his death. Mark's sister also found an email from a user named Lee Dow asking if Mark was alright that had been sent just hours before she had arrived to find her brother's body. That simple message would send Mark's sister jetting headfirst down a rabbit hole that would lead to some of the darkest corners the internet had to offer. In the emails exchanged with Lee Dow, Mark opened up to offer further insight into his mind in the weeks leading to his suicide. I feel like I'm stuck in a no-man's land. I've realized now that it's been so long and my situation hasn't improved, the physical weakness and pain getting worse. There's something gone wrong with my mind and it's stuck and won't change. I can't help feeling impatient all the time. Sometimes I have difficulty talking with people. It's a rational choice to me that I end it. I know it won't get better, but nobody I know will accept that it's true. And they say good things on my behalf, so I don't mention it as much as possible. Then I feel alone in having to keep to myself. Nobody close to me to allow me permission to die. The idea of living more than three months into the future is painful to me. I can't imagine it and don't want to think about it. I haven't set a date for my suicide, though. It's as though each day is as good as the next for going ahead with it. And even though it's not a life for now, I can manage a day at a time. Mark had conflicting thoughts on whether or not he wanted to go through with the suicide. More than anything, he wanted permission to die, and Li Dao was all too eager to grant it to him. Li Dao told Mark that she had been planning her own death and wanted Mark to do it with her. In a follow-up message, Li Dao wrote, Mark, I just saw you post on the methods board in regards to using ratchets and all that crap to help hang, and you don't need all that. Of course, just a sturdy knot is very much all one needs. In fact, once unconsciousness is achieved, 
Then the body relaxes naturally, and the pressure on the rope neck actually greatly increases, causing death. There is always some muscle tightening before unconsciousness, no matter how relaxed the person is. But after they go out, then all is said and done very quickly. Gotta go to bed for a while before work now. Talk to you tomorrow, hun. Hugs. Within days of Mark's death, Lee Dow would be back on the suicide groups with a cut-and-paste script encouraging others to follow a path similar to Mark's, and boasting that he had allowed her to watch as he slipped the noose around his neck and snuffed out his own life live on his webcam. By 2006, users of these suicide groups began to connect the dots themselves and realized that Lee Dow had been involved in multiple suicide packs. In spite of their best efforts to warn other users, Lee Dow would continue to frequent the groups for several years to come. In 2008, three years after Mark's death, another alt.suicide methods user warned that Lee Dow was back. I was recently warned about a user named Lee Dow and their methods of convincing people to hang themselves on webcam. I had been talking to Lee Dow for a while, believing that she was a woman who was 29 and worked as a night nurse in the ER department at her local hospital in Michigan or somewhere in the USA. It began with an M, I think. I forget how we started talking, but she seemed like she genuinely wanted to help those who wanted to catch the bus to do so, which I didn't think was a warning sign to keep away, as I think about suicide quite a bit. I was never going to catch the bus by hanging myself, but I went along with it anyway so as not to disappoint her and out of friendship, I guess. I was always told she was waiting for me to do it too. Anyway, I was warned by some nice people here and Lee Dow is a man and dangerous. Along with the user's post detailing their personal brush with Lee Dow, a chat transcript was posted. During their conversation, the user expressed some doubt in their commitment to taking their own life. Lee Dow rebuffed the user's statements and continued to pressure the user to go through with the act, sharing with them the story of Mark's suicide on camera. In spite of the efforts of group users to look out for one another, with the help of a new email and a new persona, William Melchert Dinkle would strike a second time. 18-year-old Nadia Kajuji was bright and ambitious as a first-year student at Carleton University. A series of unforeseen circumstances, however, would bring the once bubbly teen down a path of crippling depression. Nadia learned that she was pregnant and to make matters worse, the man she fell head over heels in love with had left her. Forced to face the difficult decision of whether she wanted to go through with having her baby alone or not, Nadia started to become more isolated. Nature would ultimately make the decision for her, and Nadia suffered a miscarriage, further compounding her depression. Nadia did initially seek help from campus doctors who prescribed her antidepressants and medication to help her sleep. She would later explain in a video diary she kept that the medications weren't much help. As the months passed, Nadia sank further into her depression. Her video diary became her only outlet. Family and friends of Nadia's began to grow concerned about her behavior, but Nadia only became more isolated. Depressed and alone, like Mark Drybro, Nadia began posting about her suicidal ideations online. That's how she would begin corresponding with a user calling themselves Cami D. Cammy D tried to convince Nadia that suicide by hanging was the best way to go and that she had planned to do the same herself. Nadia said she wasn't interested and that she would rather make her death look like an accident to make it easier for her friends and family to cope with. Still, Cammy D persisted and assured Nadia that they could hang themselves together on webcam 
so neither of them would have to go through with it alone. On March 8, 2008, less than a week after she began corresponding with Cammy D., Nadia left her dorm room in the middle of a snowstorm and was never seen again. Weeks would pass without anyone hearing from Nadia, but police were able to access her computer. The video diary and the chat logs with Cammy D painted the picture of a deeply troubled young woman. While search efforts were still underway, on April 1st, 2008, Ottawa police sent email to the user calling themselves Cammy D. Cammy D responded, Nadia died about two weeks ago, threw herself off a bridge into a frozen river. That was the last I heard from her about it, so I assume it happened. After receiving a reply from Cammy D, Ottawa police were able to trace the IP address to a Minnesota man named William Melchert Dinkle. When questioned further by the police, Melchert Dinkle explained that the email address used to correspond with Nadia had belonged to his daughter and that he would have a talk with her about her online activities. Ottawa police dropped the investigation. Three weeks later, as the ice in the Rideau River began to thaw, Nadia's body would be recovered from the frigid waters, and her family's battle for justice would begin. Listener, Obscura is brought to you by HelloFresh. This summer, HelloFresh is here to take the work out of eating well. Reach your goals with delicious calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options. Plus new vegan recipes, too. Get farm-to-table quality with every HelloFresh box. HelloFresh's seasonal ingredients are picked at peak ripeness and travel from the farm to your doorstep in less than seven days for fresh flavor in every bite. This summer, spend less time meal planning and prepping with HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients that make it easy to get cooking quick. HelloFresh is your recipe for success. From foolproof instructions to high-quality proteins and veggies, HelloFresh brings out your inner chef with every tasty, easy-to-prepare meal. I personally am in love with HelloFresh. When working on the podcast Every Minute Counts, HelloFresh allows me to spend more time with my wife. Instead of spending that time scratching my head and figuring out our next dinner, I get to spend those extra minutes with a loved one. Go to HelloFresh.com slash TrueCrimeDisaster16 and use code TrueCrimeDisaster16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Again, to get a great deal on America's number one meal kit, go to HelloFresh.com slash TrueCrimeDisaster16 and use code TrueCrimeDisaster16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. William Melchert Dinkle, a family man and a former licensed nurse practitioner, would be the last person you would expect to hear about getting his rocks off by taking advantage of vulnerable people on suicide help groups. But looks are not always what they appear. The star was able to uncover a string of complaints against Melchert Dinkle throughout his professional career filed with the Minnesota Board of Nursing. According to a 27-page report obtained by the outlet, Melchert Dinkle's license had been restricted after it was found that the nurse had failed to document administering medications to patients. In 1994, Melchert Dinkle's failure to adhere to proper hospital protocols resulted in the steady decline of a patient left in his care who subsequently died on his shift. Three years later, Melchert Dinkle would receive additional serious complaints while working at a nursing home, where it was alleged he had abused two of the residents. It is believed that Melchert Dinkle began frequenting the suicide watch group sometime in 2001. There, 
He posed as a female nurse in her 20s to early 30s who had been struggling with her own thoughts of suicide. Using a string of aliases including Lee Dow, Cammie D, and Falcon Girl, among many others still unknown, Melchert Dinkle was not looking to be a kindred spirit for other deeply troubled individuals using these chat groups. Instead, Melchert Dinkle encouraged other users to commit suicide by agreeing to enter into a pact in which he and the other user would take their lives at the same time, on cam if possible. Had it not been for the persistence of other users of these groups, it is likely Melchert Dinkle would have never seen his day in court. In addition to tipping off authorities, Celia began alerting users of the groups to steer clear of Lee Dow. While Melchert Dinkle's online activities were apparent to frequent users of these groups, proving it in court and securing a conviction would prove to be far more difficult. After learning of Nadija's suicide and her possible correspondence with Melchert Dinkle, Celia contacted the Ottawa police who were able to confirm her suspicions, but the wheels of justice moved slowly. In spite of the deluge of information Celia forwarded to not only Canadian authorities, but authorities in Britain and the FBI, it was difficult, if not impossible, to prove that Melchert Dinkle had been the person behind the keyboard. It is suspected that Melchert Dinkle may have at least five victims he duped into entering into suicide packs, including Mark and Nadija. In one particularly chilling correspondence dated November 2007, a user of a suicide message board wrote, What is the best way to kill yourself when you're under 13? Two days later, someone calling themselves Lee wrote, Kolocha, yes, I'm here. Email me at, I'm here for you. Hugs. After further investigation into the information provided by Celia by St. Paul, Minnesota Police, it was determined that it was possible to arrest Melchert Dinkle under Minnesota's strict laws regarding advising or encouraging suicide. Ten months after beginning their investigation, St. Paul Police felt comfortable making the arrest, and Melchert Dinkle didn't put up a fight. When officers arrived at his home, Melchert Dinkle immediately confessed to the conversations he had been having with other users of the message boards. When asked why he chose to have these conversations, Melchert Dinkle responded for the thrill of the chase, but maintained he had no ill intent behind the messages. A court of law saw things differently, calling Melchert Dinkle's actions calculated, intentional, and fraudulent. However, the judge also acknowledged that Melchert Dinkle wasn't the sole reason for the suicides of Mark Drybro or Nadija Kajuji. In 2011, Melchert Dinkle was ordered to serve 360 days in jail, with an additional 15 years probation, as well as spending two days in jail for the next 10 years on the anniversaries of his known victims' deaths. In a statement addressed to the courts, Nadija's mother wrote, What Melchert Dinkle did was vile, offensive, and most importantly, illegal. He knowingly chose to mastermind the deaths of some and destroy the lives of many. In doing so, he also completely shattered a trust that society has bestowed upon those in his profession. Most profound, he would have us believe that it is his right to do so. He would have us believe that some members of society are disposable, but Nadia was not disposable. None of our children are disposable. When one takes into account his total disregard for human life, the pleasure he derives from being an instrument to death, and his belief that it is his right to do so, can it be possible to reach any conclusion other than that he is a danger to society that must be locked away for the protection of others? Add to this the fact that through years of practice he has become quite proficient at manipulating the minds of others. 
Then it should become clear why I further believe that all communications he has with others, be it through internet, phone, in person, or otherwise, be supervised and monitored. If Dinkle using false pretenses convinced someone to turn over their money or possessions, he would be charged with fraud. And yet, he took much more than money or possessions, he took their lives. If he had been encouraging them to take the life of someone else, he would be charged with conspiracy to commit murder. But I fail to see the difference. A human life is a human life, and the emphasis should not be placed on whose life it is. When a verdict was reached in this case, many people celebrated that justice was served. But I'm here to remind you that a guilty verdict in and of itself is not justice. Justice, by definition, is determined by the administering of a deserved and just punishment. The true test of justice will be determined right here today. Today the world watches to see the results of this test. Your Honor, I'm asking you when handing down this sentence not to think of the multitude of media and legal professionals following this case. I ask instead that you consider those that justice is intended for. Think of other victims of crimes like this, who need to know that coming forward will not result in them being victimized all over again, only this time by the very systems put in place to protect them. I ask you to consider those of us whose lives have been forever shattered and destroyed by this man. I ask you to remember Mark and Nadia. Mark may not have been my child, but I think of him often, because through this process he has been connected to Nadia for eternity. Dinkle may be facing possible jail time for his actions, but even with that, he will never experience the sorrow and misery he has inflicted on others. Even in jail, he will still be able to enjoy visits from his wife. He will still be able to see and hug his two daughters. He will on his release be reunited with his family, and very likely will one day in the future have the pleasure of holding his grandchildren. I, on the other hand, would give everything I have. I would give my life in a heartbeat to be able to spend just one more minute with my child again. Make no mistake about it. WMD is a predator. WMD is a killer. He is in fact a serial killer, and WMD deserves to be punished to the fullest extent of the law. After an appeal, a Minnesota court would throw out Melchert Dinkle's conviction in relation to the death of Nadia Kajuji, however. His conviction related to the death of Mark Drybro was reinstated. The story of William Melchert Dinkle stands as a case study in catfishing. It demonstrates how easy it can be with the use of technology to take on an entirely new persona, and how deeply we, as users, can become entrenched in their elaborate lies. Sadly, not much has changed in the eyes of the law when it comes to dealing with these types of predators. In 2016, 18-year-old Mitchell Bowie of Redcar ended his own life after allegedly being urged to do so by a woman he had met online. The similarities between Mitchell Bowie's suicide and the Melchert Dinkle case are too great to ignore. In early in 2016, Mitchell had begun communicating through Facebook with a woman he believed lived in Liverpool. As weeks passed, the two became closer, and Mitchell believed that the two had begun dating, though it is suspected by Mitchell's family that they had never met in real life. Mitchell began referring to the woman as his girlfriend, and had made plans to meet up with her on multiple occasions, but each time there were excuses why she had to break off the plans. A red flag... The person he was communicating with was not who they were portraying themselves as. According to reports, the unknown woman told Mitchell that she knew people in Manchester who wanted to stab him. Mitchell took these threats seriously, and it is likely that Mitchell feared for his safety. 
Mitchell lived at home with his parents and his four siblings while involved in the online relationship. According to statements from Mitchell's family, the woman he had been speaking with called their house phone repeatedly, and they believed the woman had been stalking him. Also during this time, Mitchell had befriended another woman claiming to be his girlfriend's cousin. Mitchell's family suspects it was his girlfriend's alleged cousin who had been behind the fake account all along. He would continue communicating with her up until he made the decision to take his own life. When Mitchell decided he was finished with the relationship, things went from bad to worse. The constant phone calls persisted, and Mitchell's ex-girlfriend's messages became more threatening. In one message, the woman threatened to burn Mitchell's house down and repeatedly urged Mitchell to kill himself. Mitchell took these threats to heart, and he had likely feared that not just he, but his entire family was in danger because of his choice to pursue an online relationship. On July 30th, 2016, Mitchell sent a photo to his former girlfriend's cousin. The image depicted the preparations Mitchell had made for his suicide. The woman claiming to be his former girlfriend's cousin forwarded the photo to Mitchell's family members, but it was a warning that would come too late. Mitchell's brother found him dead in his bedroom the following morning. During a coroner's inquest, Mitchell's sister, Sinead, told the court, Police have never taken a detailed examination of who she is or what she is. She won't say where she comes from or who she is. I believe the cousin is the Facebook girlfriend. These girls are not who they say they are. The Facebook girlfriend is a fake person. Police have still not found her. Reports state that police had questioned the young woman alleging to have been Mitchell's ex-girlfriend's cousin, but didn't push the matter. At the time of the questioning, the girl was under the age of 18, and there were no appropriate adults around to ensure her rights weren't violated. Since the initial questioning, the girl claiming to be Mitchell's ex-girlfriend's cousin has refused to provide any more information, and police dropped the investigation when they determined no criminal offenses had occurred. No charges were ever brought against anyone suspected to have been behind the false online personas. I feel that the picture Mitchell took preparing to kill himself was an act of bravado. It was a show tactic rather than an intention to kill himself. Inadvertently, without intention, he has killed himself. Whatever happened has happened by himself. Whatever happened, he has died as a result of it. I can't say he committed suicide, the coroner stated when reaching her final verdict on the case. Isolated incidents of coerced suicide are distressing to think about, but with the growing popularity of social media sites, it would seem there may be some people who want to take William Melchert Dinkle's deadly game and stretch it even further. Sometime in 2013, rumors about a deadly suicide game began making their way across social media sites. VK, a Russian version of Facebook, seemed to be the source of the phenomenon, but like many creepypastas, the game's true origins are muddy at best. What is well documented is the moral panic that began to spread through Russian tabloids about a game, known to teens as the Blue Whale Challenge, that some sources claimed had been responsible for a vast majority of the 130 suicides that occurred in Russia in 2016. As the game began making the press, if it hadn't existed before, plenty began believing that it did, and before long, Photos of self-harm began appearing on well-known social media sites like Instagram, using hashtags like Blue Whale or F57, which is another name for the game that allegedly originated in a private group of the same name. According to sources who claimed they had played the game and survived, 
the game went on for 50 days. Each day, the player would be given a task they had to complete. When the 50 days were up, the player had to commit suicide or else face some form of violent threat. While the game became a wildly popular topic for YouTube channels and other outlets that specialize in the creepier elements of the internet, it wouldn't be until a 21-year-old Russian college student named Philip Budakin came forward to confess to creating the game that it could be confirmed that the game ever actually existed. Budakin claimed he had created the game as a means of cleansing society of people he deemed biological waste. He also told the press that his alleged victims had no value to society. Though Budakin originally pleaded guilty to encouraging at least 16 teenage girls to commit suicide, he only saw a conviction for two. Even after Budakin's arrest, rumors of the game's existence persisted, with claims from concerned and grieving parents throughout the world claiming their children had killed themselves in connection to the Blue Whale Challenge. Unfortunately, none of these reports have been substantiated. In 2017, a 26-year-old mail carrier from Moscow named Ilya Sidorov was arrested for running a similar group. He claimed he led at least 32 children to commit suicide. A 17-year-old girl was also arrested in 2017 after she was accused of being an administrator for a Blue Whale group. As the reports about the deadly game began to subside in late 2017, a new game began to take its place with Origins in South America. Much like the Blue Whale Challenge, the origins of the Momo Challenge are murky, and it is still debated on whether or not the game is a real threat or an online hoax. It is believed the game started with a series of phone numbers posted on Facebook. Those phone numbers could be used to connect to a user named Momo on a chat application called WhatsApp. When a user connects to Momo, they are not guaranteed a reply, but if Momo does choose to respond to a message, the other user is typically inundated with ridicule, threats, and photos of gore. The person on the account is alleged to become increasingly more threatening over time, eventually encouraging the other user to kill themselves. Some reports claim that at least three children, including a 12-year-old Argentinian girl, as well as another 12-year-old girl from Colombia, and a 16-year-old Colombian boy had committed suicide as a result of the game. It was alleged that in all three cases there was evidence of the children interacting with the Momo account through WhatsApp. So far, none of these claims have been substantiated. What's your thoughts on this, listener? Do you believe Melchert Dinkle or those involved in the other stories we touched on really had the power to coerce others into taking their own lives? Or do you believe these people were deeply disturbed and would have likely taken their own lives regardless? We'd love to hear your thoughts.
Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.